It's Wednesday, December 5th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. There's a growing trend of people using a feature on the iPhone called AirDrop to send lewd pictures to unsuspecting strangers, and it's being called cyber flashing. It has become such a problem that a bill was introduced last week by two members of the New York City Council that would punish people who send harassing and explicit photos with up to a year in jail or a $1,000 fine. Issy Lepowski, senior writer for Wired, joins us to discuss the airdrop problem and how this law could even work. Next, CIA Director Gina Haspel has briefed senators on their assessment that Saudi Arabia's crown prince ordered and monitored the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, and they were not happy. Senator Bob Corker said that if the crown prince was in front of a jury, he would be convicted in about 30 minutes. Greg Hellman, defense reporter at Politico, joins us to discuss how we know the crown prince probably ordered the hit. Finally, microblogging site Tumblr has decided that it will delete all adult content from its social media site, and it has caused an uproar with the users who flock to the site for its art-positive and sex-positive platform. My producer Miranda joins us for why some are saying this might be the end for Tumblr. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I had AirDrop switched on. I'd previously been using it to share photographs with another iPhone and uh, a picture appeared on the screen of a man's penis. Um, So I declined the image instinctively and uh, another picture appeared, at which point I realized somebody nearby was sending them um, and that concerned me. Joining us now is Issy Lepowski, senior writer for Wired covering politics, tech and national affairs. Technology, we all love it. A lot of people hate it sometimes. It's made it significantly easier to be a creep in this world. There is a growing trend, I guess you could call it. It's called cyber flashing, where people are using a feature on the iPhone called AirDrop to anonymously send other people lewd pictures or videos, pictures, what you can send all sorts of stuff through there. And it's becoming such a problem that the bill was introduced last week by two members of the New York City Council to punish people who have sent these explicit photos to others so they can stop the harassment. So what do we know about cyber flashing and more about this bill? These two city council members are basically saying, if you step on the New York City subway and you pull down your pants, you're going to get arrested or you can get arrested at least. The same does not apply to these cyber flashers, people who send these sexually explicit images via airdrop. But remember, that's only one use case here. The bill is addressing all sexually explicit photos or videos that are sent to somebody with the intent to harass, alarm or annoy them. So that covers a whole range of harassment that happens on different social platforms. It's airdrop, but it's also, you know, you can imagine this happening on platforms like Facebook and Twitter. You can certainly imagine it happening on dating platforms like Tinder. The council members are particularly interested in the airdrop problem because they personally have heard a lot of stories from people about this happening. It's important to note that when Apple gives you your iPhone, the airdrop setting is set automatically to only receive airdrops from your contacts. So in order to have received, you know, an unsolicited picture like this from a stranger, you would have had to already override your settings. But a lot of people do that because there are various reasons why you might need to receive an airdrop at at different times. So this bill is essentially intending to catch these perpetrators. The problem is going to be with enforcement. Let's get into that notion of enforcement. And, uh, you know, the big problem is the anonymity with this thing, because you can nickname your phone 
you know, my name's Oscar, but I can name it Charles. And then when I airdrop you something, it's going to be coming from Charles's phone. It's not going to show that it's me. And there's other differences too, where digital trails are pretty weak. So what do we know about that part? Right. So I worked with a Mac forensics specialist named Sarah Edwards, who was so kind as to do an experiment on her own where she took two different iPhones and tried to sort out the digital trail if you send an airdrop from one to the other. And despite her best efforts, and she's sort of regarded as the expert in this field, she could not find a definitive link. As you said, you can change your phone's name. If you have an iPhone, you could change it to Samsung Galaxy phone. It can be whatever you want. So it would be pretty hard for law enforcement to track this down. Probably there is some way that they could, but we're talking about the NYPD here and how much they have to right. monitor from terrorism just to, to run of the mill crime. This is a sort of a low level crime in a lot of ways. So you wonder how much resources they're really going to throw at a problem like this. Talking to the council members, they said, sure, you know, this is not going to catch every single instance of harassment. We know that they're not technologists. You know, Councilman Borelli said to me, I just learned how to use airdrop. <laughs> I so saw they haven't in the thought article, through yeah. every aspect of this, but they said, you know, a big goal of this legislation is really to deter people, to say that this is a crime and you can be punished for it. And also there are circumstances where the NYPD does know who perpetrated the crime and until now hasn't really had the legislative ability to prosecute these people. And so this would give them that. But the council members are hoping that the tech industry and the NYPD will come in through the hearing process on this bill to help them come up with ways that this will be more applicable to the technology that exists. Yeah, the punishment in this proposed bill is going to be a year of jail time or a thousand dollar fine. Police sometimes they'll know the perpetrators, but they can't get somebody on a crime. In your article, you had pointed a a case in New York City where a doorman had sent lewd texts to several tenants in the building. Why wasn't that a crime, though? I don't understand. I mean, if they knew it was him, how? Could, why couldn't they prosecute him for that? Right. Because harassment laws vary state to state. And in New York state, it heavily hinges on whether there is the intent to harm or the, the threat of, of, of physical harm. In this case, police determined that no, while these photos are harassing and while they're sexually explicit, they are not threatening physical harm. And of course, you can debate that a million ways to Sunday because a woman might very well feel threatened physically if her doorman is sending her images like this. So I think that has been a really tough area for law enforcement to enforce in New York state because the law is written that way. And it's written that way because you don't want to accidentally write the law so that it incorporates all types of innocent behavior. So right. for instance, if you send a nude photo to your spouse and your spouse is consenting to receiving this photo, that shouldn't be considered criminal behavior. And so you don't want to make the law so broad and so vague that it could in include behavior that is otherwise innocuous. You know, one simple fix would be for Apple to change its airdrop feature so that you don't automatically receive a preview of an image before you've accepted that image. That seems like basic common sense right. that, that you would you have can, to accept it before you see it. That way you can um, reject it from its unknown person, reject it immediately. Exactly. That's one simple technical fix. And I think the city council members are hoping that they can work with tech companies on more of those changes that don't need to be necessarily coded into law. Well, this bill is going to be coming up next year, so we'll see how that develops. Issy Lepowski, senior writer at Wired. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. If the Crown Prince went in front of a jury, he would be convicted in 30 minutes. 
I have zero question in my mind that the uh, Crown Prince MBS ordered the killing, monitored the killing, uh, knew exactly what was happening, planned it in advance. Joining us now is Greg Hellman, defense reporter for Politico. Continuing this saga of the Khashoggi killing, lawmakers were briefed Tuesday by CIA Director Gina Haspel on the latest of what the CIA has, their assessment was of this. We previously known the president has been briefed on it. He said maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. We're talking about Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince. Everybody's focusing on it. Did he order the killing of Jamal Khashoggi or not. The CIA seems to think so. Gina Haspel briefed senators yesterday and everybody seemed to come out of that meeting very angry, saying that Mohammed bin Salman did indeed order this. What do we know about that meeting? Very contrasting, very different take from senators who came out of this national security meeting with CIA Director Gina Haspel on Tuesday. There were a lot of really striking statements that top Senate leaders made following the meeting. Senate Foreign Relations Chairman declared that a jury would have found the Crown Prince guilty within 30 minutes, having been presented with the evidence that they were presented with, and said there was zero question that Mohammed bin Salman was behind the order to organize the murder of Jamal. Khashoggi, zero question is what he said. Yeah, he said he ordered and monitored the killing. That's absolutely right. Senate Armed Services Committee Member Lindsey Graham, a hardline voice on national security here on the Hill, also said there's no smoking gun, there's a smoking saw. That's brutal, honestly. I mean, it, it seems like this, at least in the senator's eyes, is a pretty open and shut case. The smoking saw refers to one of the people in this uh, kill team reportedly had a bone saw that was used to dismember journalist Jamal Khashoggi. I think he even said something about, oh, I find it helpful if put in headphones to kind of drown out the noise while you're doing this stuff. And this is this came out a long time ago, very early when things were starting to trickle out about the news. It seems that a lot of these details we had trickled out of the init- in the initial weeks following the murder are becoming confirmed, are going on the record, coming from our intelligence agency through to the U.S. Congress. This was a smaller group of senators that were briefed. Uh, I think last week, Mike Pompeo and uh, Jim Mattis briefed senators, but Gina Haspel was absent, so there was a lot of blowback on this. I think Rand Paul wasn't invited to this new meeting, and uh, he was very angry, saying, hey, I can't even be asked to be included in this thing. If you have senators that are more equal than others, that's not Democratic representation. He was really angry about being left out about it. He made this comment that he was left out by the quote-unquote deep state, which is a term uh, that <laughs> right. you commonly hear in the Middle East, but not often when dealing with U.S. politics. But that's significant because Rand Paul has been leading the charge on a lot of anti-Saudi legislation here in the U.S. Congress, legislation that cut off arms to the uh, Saudi-led coalition in Yemen, and also legislation to cut off support for that war as well. Let's talk about the details here, because the Wall Street Journal got their hands on a lot of CIA intercepts that they say helped with their assessment. Basically, the conclusion is that Prince Mohammed bin Salman probably ordered the killing in part on 11 messages that he sent to an advisor who was overseeing this hit squad. So they have these messages. We don't know what form they were, if they were emails or text messages or whatnot, but he was communicating with them right around the time that Jamal Khashoggi was being murdered in the Istanbul consulate. 11 exchanges of messages with his top aide who was allegedly uh, overseeing this murder. And those messages corresponded with the time when they were inside the Saudi consulate, allegedly carrying out this killing. Intelligence 
collection, it's often very difficult to have the quote-unquote 100% slam dunk irrefutable evidence. But what seems to, the details of what seems to have come out so far seems about as compelling as you can put together. And it's just so interesting, the reaction from President Trump. We know why he wants to keep Saudi Arabia as an ally. Obviously, there's huge arms deals going back and forth. They control a lot of oil out there. So there's a big monetary component to it. But he has been giving that bit of leeway from the CIA, at least from what we know from the Wall Street Journal. They said that they have a medium to high confidence that the crown prince personally targeted Jamal Khashoggi. But to be clear, they don't have a direct reporting that he issued a kill order. So, I mean, that gives the president his leeway to say maybe he didn't, maybe he did. Intelligence collection, it's a science in a way, and also an art at the same time, for all that old phrase. Very, very difficult to assert anything with 100% confidence. But the evidence that the intelligence agencies have collected, that at least has been made public, is compelling and points in one direction, which is that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman most probably ordered this murder. And now it sets up more conflict between senators and the president and the way we want to proceed with Saudi Arabia as an ally. So I'm sure all that is going to be developing in the next few weeks or so. Greg Hellman, defense reporter for Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. A lot of people are vowing to not use the site anymore. People were using it as a base for their business. There's sex workers saying that this is where they would go to give the teaser for their pay websites. So they could go on Tumblr, advertise what they're about, and then get a fan base built there. Joining me is my producer, Miranda. I had been seeing all sorts of headlines about Tumblr on the internet. Let me read a few of them for you. Tumblr's adult content ban is about so much more than porn. R.I.P. Tumblr porn, you made me who I am. Tumblr's porn ban reveals who controls what we see online. Tumblr's porn ban abandons the marginalized. This really sparked an interest in me. I was like, what is this all about? Obviously, a social media site banning explicit images isn't necessarily shocking, but the reaction is really what the uproar is all about. So let's start at the beginning. Miranda, why is Tumblr banning porn on their platform now? Well, they're not using the word porn. Tumblr is planning to permanently ban adult content from its platform on December 17th. And this move is going to eradicate all of the porn related communities on the platform and completely change how the service is used. So this ban is including anything that's considered to be explicit sexual content and nudity, with a few exceptions. Banned content includes photos, videos, and GIFs of human genitalia, female presenting nipples, and any media involving sex acts, including illustrations. Exceptions will include nude classical statues, that kind of thing, political protests that feature nudity, And uh, with the new guidelines, that's going to exclude text. So erotica, as far as like written sex stories, are still going to be allowed. And um, illustrations that that feature nudity are still okay, as long as sex acts aren't being depicted. Also, you can still post your breastfeeding and afterbirth photos. A lot of people are saying that this is in response to an episode that they had on their platform where child pornography made its way onto there. It actually got Tumblr banned from the Apple App Store for quite some time. I don't think it's back yet even, but something happened there where child porn was able to slip into online. Right. And Tumblr says that every image 
that's uploaded to their platform gets scanned against an industry database of child sexual abuse material to filter out any explicit images of that nature. And so a routine audit discovered content that was missing from that database, which is what allowed whatever this image was, we don't know, we're not, they, they didn't describe it to any of us, to slip through their filter. So the content was immediately removed, but the app is still not available on the App Store. But it is available on the Google Play Store for Androids. Really, the backlash of what's happened now is this this uproar on them banning this adult content is really what's fueling all of these headlines. For years, Tumblr had been known as a sex-positive destination for a lot of people. People go to Tumblr to form these communities similar to like Reddit. You know, on Twitter, it's much more of a free-for-all attitude. You get a lot of trolls and whatnot. But on Tumblr, people can go and post their pictures, post their stories. People would reblog it, repost those things. It really became a community in and of itself. For its part, 20% of all the clicks that drive Tumblr's desktop site were this adult content, things of this nature. So it's a big portion of their business. And a lot of people saying them deleting all this stuff is really spelling the end of Tumblr. Yeah, a lot of people are vowing to not use the site anymore because that, like you said, 20% of their clicks were for this adult content and people were using it as a base for their business. There's sex workers who were profiled in a Wired.com piece saying that this is where they would go to kind of give the teaser for their pay websites. So they could go on Tumblr, advertise what they're about, share little bits of it, and then get a fan base built there to generate income for themselves on a pay site. You've heard the term thrown around a lot, but this was a safe space for them where they can curate pictures, things to drive to other business ventures. It was their social media landing point, and now they don't have it. And a lot of these people are saying, we don't know where we're going. Maybe we'll go to Reddit. Maybe we'll go on to Twitter. But a lot of people are saying that they're just going to not use this anymore and it's going to shrink their user base drastically. Is there any part of you, Oscar, because we live in an outrage culture now, I can point to what happened on Monday with Netflix saying they're going to remove friends and then everybody flipped out on the internet. So Netflix said, okay, okay, we'll keep friends. Do you think that is there an element to this that if enough people say no porn, no more Tumblr, that Tumblr will reverse this ruling? In this case, I don't think so. And you see it with a lot of other social media platforms, restricting content, things like that. A lot of people have brought up the issue that Verizon has bought out Tumblr now through a series of acquisitions. You know, Yahoo bought them first. And, and then, they didn't and, mind the porn. Right. And then Verizon bought Yahoo and it's all about ads. So Verizon doesn't want to put ads on a platform that has a lot of this content on there. So a lot of people are bringing that issue up as that's really the thing. So in this case, I don't think an outcry will bring it back because there are other places. And the CEO said that as much. He said, there's no shortage of places you can get adult content. We don't have to be that place. We're focusing more on who is part of our community. And that's the central issue is that all these people that are in these types of communities, the as they call them, these sex positive communities, that's why they went there. That's why they use the service, because they could post all their stuff there. And we'll see where these people kind of land. We may get you a know, new social network side out of this. You know, at the at the onset of this, I was like, man, all these headlines, they're making it seem like. It's the saddest thing ever that they're restricting content. But, you know, for these people in these communities, these are this is where they went. So much time and energy to curate their think blogs. Think of the bronies, Oscar. Think, think of, of the, the bronies. bronies. Right. All right. So we'll see what happens with this. Uh, but for now, all your adult content is gone now from Tumblr. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar.
All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.